we are thoroughly Pentecostal. And we are not ashamed of that. And uh, we, we believe that God has raised up the network to bring about a reformation of the cross, to bring back a move of the Holy Spirit, to bring the church back to fidelity in the Word of God, and to bring us back to believing for miracles. Divine healing, the power of God to break bondages. And, uh, and so we thank you for watching it, but this week I'm expecting every one of you to call and give a gift. But I'm just going to tell you something. Now, you know, Dad starts at 5 in the morning. He goes 5 to 8, and then Gabe is on from 8 to 12, and Lauren is 12 to 4, the mother is 4 to 7, and then I'm 7 to 11. If you don't call on my shift, God's not going to honor your gift. You, you, you have to call on my shift. If you, you can give on the other shifts, but you're not going to get blessed. But if you call on my shift, you know, you're going to get blessed abundantly so. And so the reason I say that my mother and I, mother is the most competitive person. That you, now you ain't nowhere near competitive as her son. She got you beat six ways to Sunday. I mean, she will, you know, if, if, if she, she, she tells me, don't you give slips to Donnie. You make sure I get every slip. <laughs> she, she wants it, so, but don't give it to her. But call in, and, and uh, no, I'm just joking. Whatever shift you call, call in. We want you to stand. We believe that, that, you know, this is a voice for missions in the last days, a voice to the world. God has raised it up, and, you know, we thank the Lord for that. Open your Bibles this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Reading just one little verse. Twelve words to the whole verse. Verse 18. Paul writing said, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Let me say that again. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. And I want to minister tonight for a few minutes on the subject, the benefit of speaking with other tongues. The benefits of speaking with other tongues. Would you bow your heads? Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege that we have to once again minister your word. We would ask tonight for your anointing. Anoint me to deliver. Anoint me to lay the groundwork. Anoint me to prepare the hearts of every person that's here. And Lord, I have no way of knowing how many people in the building tonight has not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And Lord, if there's just one, let tonight be their night that they receive God's greatest gift for the church, the mighty infilling of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. On December the 7th, 1941, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, just right after the bombs finished exploding all across Japan, the Japanese secret police, 
the Japanese military began to arrest all of the citizens of all of the allied nations that were still in the country of Japan. Canadians, Americans, Brits, New Zealanders, Australians, uh, those from the Dutch East Indies, just list after list of allies, citizens of allied nations that were still in the country. One of the men arrested was at a Methodist missionary working in a church there in Tokyo. Because he was a minister of the gospel, at least he said, because he was a minister of the gospel, for some reason they, they treated him a little differently than the other prisoners. Instead of sending him to a regular prison, they sent him to a military prisoner camp. And he went on to say that how he was tortured and beaten. They would come into his cell. They would take him out of his cell and they would take him down a hallway into another cell. And they would strip the clothes off of his body. They would tie his hands above his head. They would lay a rope over a beam and they would pull it up until his toes were about that far from touching the ground. They would leave him hanging there until the shoulder blades would be pulled out of its socket. He said the pain was absolutely excruciating. And then, before he would pass out in pain, he said a sadistic, probably demon-possessed Japanese guard would come in with a bamboo rod. And you know what bamboo does when it begins to crack? It becomes razor sharp. They would take that bamboo... And they would start at the back of his head and they would begin to beat him. And then as that bamboo would begin to crack, then they would start rolling down its body. And he said every time they would hit from the neck, the shoulders, the back, the buttocks, the legs, he said it would slice him wide open. And he said they would beat him until the blood would literally flow from his body and pool around his feet. Then they would take him down take him back to his room, his cell, and throw him in. And they would wait to show you how cruel. He said they would wait several days for the healing process to begin. And then they would come and get him and do it all over again. He said this went on for ages, and finally he reached his breaking point. And he began to pray, God, I cannot survive this. I cannot endure any more torture. I cannot take the pain. Let me die. I know that I'm ready. My heart is ready. I love you. Let me die. But he said, death would not come. And finally, he reached the point that his prayer changed. Let me make a pause here. You know, sometimes God has to bring us to a place that our praying changes. To where we begin to pray for what he wants us to pray for. And that day came. They had stripped his clothes. They had tied him up. And they were beating him. And he was screaming out, God, let me die. Let me die. And finally said, God, if you're not going to let me die. You've got to give me something to get me through this. If you're not going to take my life, 
If you're not going to spare me from the pain of this torture, you've got to give me something to get me through. And boy, does God have something to give His children to get us through every circumstance and every situation that we can encounter and face. He said, all of a sudden, I felt it was like hot oil being poured over my head. He said, I felt it coming down my body. And then he said, all of a sudden, it was like somebody supercharged me with electricity. And then he said, I realized I was speaking in a language that I did not know. He said, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going on, but he was praying in tongues. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to shout. He said it was like he was in a cocoon. He knew he was being beaten, but he said he couldn't feel it. He said it was just flowing out of him like a river. Hallelujah. He said he got back to his, they brought him back to, and he said he realized as he was praying out loud in this foreign language, he said he realized that they had stopped beating him. And he said he looked over his shoulder, and that guard was just standing there staring at him. They took him down. They brought him back to his cell. And he said, he, he laid in there and he said, God, what was this? And then, of course, he began to think that. He goes, this must be an Acts 2 experience. But he said, Lord, I don't understand this. It's not real. Because my professors taught me in Bible college that when the canon of Scripture was closed and the book of Revelation was finished, that all of these spiritual gifts ceased. And then he said he felt a little voice, heard a little voice in his heart saying, who are you going to believe? Me or some professor? He said, you asked me for something. You asked me to get you through this, and I've given you something to get you through this. And he said... A few days later, they came and they got him. He said they brought him to the out. They stripped his clothes off. They began to beat him, and he lifted his voice and began to pray in the Spirit again. And he said they stopped beating him immediately. And he said he looked around, and that guard, was his eyes were that big, staring at him. And he said he looked out, and in the hallway was standing one of the Japanese officers who spoke English, and of course this missionary spoke fluent Japanese. They brought him back to the cell, and that officer came in and said, What language were you speaking? We don't know that language. How do you tell someone that the language I'm speaking is from heaven? Oh, hallelujah. Are you here tonight? How do you explain that even when you're not sure what it is yourself, but you know it's real? But you know it's real. Hallelujah. You may not be able to quote chapter and verse, but you know that you know that you know you've got something straight from the throne of God. And he said, a few days went by. They came and got him again. And he said they were, they got in, they stripped his clothes off. They pulled his hands up and he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, you don't have to wait until they start hitting you. You can start speaking right now. 
And he said, I just opened my mouth and it began to flow like a river. And he said, I, I looked, he said, then I realized nothing was happening. And I looked around and they're just standing there looking at me. And he said, honestly, he said, I reached down, picked up my clothes, got dressed and walked out the cell. And went to my own cell. A few days later, they came and got him again. They brought him into the cell. And the Lord spoke to him and said, you don't have to wait for them to strip your clothes off your back. He just opened his mouth and started speaking. He said they never touched him. He, a few days later, they came and got him. He was walking out of a cell. He said the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't have to wait till you get down to that other cell. Open your mouth right now. And he said, I opened my mouth and began to speak, and it began to flow. And he said, I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm praying in tongues. And he said, all of a sudden, I realized that I was by myself. And I turned around and looked, and they're just standing there. And he said, I walked right there, right back. Walked right past them, walked right into the cell, closed the door, and sat down. And he said, they walked. He said, from that day forward, until we were liberated in 1945, he said, they never laid another hand on me. They never touched me. They never tried to torture me. They never tried to do anything to me. He said, I, I was liberated. I came home. And he said, I was called before the, mission, uh, the Methodist Mission Board to give an account of what had happened to me in my incarceration. He said, they had no idea what I was about ready to tell them. And he said, when I got through telling them what the Lord had done for me, he said, the shock was that not one single person stood up and said, praise the Lord. Not one person said, thank God for what he did for you. He said, they just stared at me. And after a couple of minutes, they said, well, brother, you might be more comfortable going somewhere else because we just don't believe in that hallelujah but he said i walked out of there he said i didn't have to go worry about it i didn't cry about it i walked out of there rejoicing he said they may have disfellowshipped me but he said i had something greater than a credential card in my wallet he said i knew what i had was real and he went on to become an Assembly of God missionary, went back to Tokyo and built a thriving world. I'm here to tell you tonight, it's real. It's real. As the songwriter said, it's real. It's real. Thank God the account is settled. And I know, I know it's real. Thank God for Pentecost. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that third member of the triune Godhead that will never leave us, never forsake us. He will guide us. He will lead us. He will teach us. He will instruct us. He will empower us. He will anoint us. Thank God for Pentecost. I'm not ashamed to stand up and say I'm Pentecostal. Not ashamed to say I speak in tongues. I, well, don't get me started. I have absolutely no respect for preachers or churches that call themselves spirit-filled, but there was absolutely no demonstration of the Holy Spirit allowed in their churches. They don't know what it is for somebody to lift their... They, listen, they need to be sued for false advertising. <laughs> Hallelujah. They need... Oh, I don't, don't get me started. We need churches 
full of the Holy Spirit. We need preachers full of the Holy Spirit. We need people full of the Holy Spirit. We need singers full of the Holy Spirit. We need Sunday school teachers full of the Holy Spirit. We need worshipers full of the Holy They that worship, let him worship in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God has given us this great experience and this great gift for the express purpose of helping us. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who said, let there be light, and light was. The one who said, let us go down and make man in our image. And the Godhead took the dust and the clay, the dirt and the clay, and formed the image of man, and then breathed into them. And the Bible said, and man became a living soul. That God who, who, who put the stars in space and has named every single one and Astronomers say there's well over a trillion stars in the heavens. And every one of them has a name. A name that God has given them. He made the plants, the animals, the sun, the moon. And he has seen to it that he equips us with the same power that brought this world into creation. That's the Holy Spirit. And God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without formal void, and darkness covered the face of it. But the Spirit of God moved. The we have creation life in us. Now that doesn't mean we can create things. That doesn't, no, we're not God. We cannot speak things into existence. But what it means is this, the same breath that was breathed into man, the same voice and breath that breathed into the cosmos, that same spirit that was at work to bring order out of chaos, Light out of darkness, life out of death has been given to each and every one of us. Oh, somebody needs to praise the Lord for that. It is power, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The problem we have is we don't realize what a wonderful gift and a powerful gift that has been deposited and made available for each and every one of us. Oh, what a gift. What a, I will not leave you comfortless. 
This 14th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians is a favorite chapter by those who are negative or anti-Pentecostal because they try to use, it's a misinterpretation of what Paul is saying in this particular book. They try to use the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians to try to prove that tongues are not for today. However, if that's true, then what did Paul mean? I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. No, Paul was not against tongues. What they don't understand is the purpose of the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The purpose of this chapter was the apostle trying to bring to the church direction and order as it regards three of the gifts of the Spirit. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, you've got to understand something tonight, that seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit was in operation in the Old Covenant. Every gift was in operation with the exception of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost that tongues came into being and in place. Why did God do it that way? I don't know. And I don't care. I'm just glad he did. Hallelujah. So he was trying to bring order to the Corinthian church. Because you see, tongues and interpretation of tongues were new. It was exotic. Everyone was wanting to operate in that particular gift. And therefore, there was confusion in the early church. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle sets down to bring correction on how these gifts are to be used. It's important to understand that the gift of tongues as well is not the same thing as one's own personal prayer language. Everyone that is filled with the Spirit will speak in tongues. But not everybody that speaks in tongues has the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. We had someone the other day call in Mother's Pro. How many of you watch Fancies and Friends? Well, all you got to do is listen to that program for a little while, and you'll realize there are some dumb people in this world. <laughs> some strange people. But we had this dear Baptist brother, and, and he was a nice man, but he was, boy, he was adamant. Boy, he, you get it off. <laughs> Excuse me. He said, when I got saved, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I got it all. What do you say to that? Somebody was whistling. Is that somebody's phone? I was preaching one Sunday morning at Family Worship Center, and phone went off, and it just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. You see, what happens is the same thing. Your phone goes off when it shouldn't, and you think, if I ignore it, it'll just stop ringing. It doesn't work that way. And so I kind of lost my cool. I stopped preaching. I said, would you shut off 
that phone. Because to make it matters worse, it was one of these old crazy ringtones. You know what I mean? Just weird. Like something rap or something, you know. And when I said it, I heard a commotion on the platform. And I looked around, I said, oh man, I'm dead meat. It was mother's phone. <laughs> and she was digging in her purse. And you can't find, ladies, you can't, y'all don't carry purses, y'all carry saddlebags. And you, got, you could live for a month out of what you got in your purse. And you can't find nothing in that purse. And Gabriel had gotten a hold of her phone, and as a joke, had changed the ringtone. It was weird. But so I just told you that story so you'll all check your phones. Make sure it's all. He said, I got it all. I said, really? So there's nothing else that the Lord can give us. No. I said, really? You've got every single thing. This is what I said. I said, well, first of all, brother, until you die, you're going to never get all that the Lord has for us. I said, secondly, let me help you here. I said, yes, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into you. But there's a difference between the spirit of regeneration and the spirit baptism. The spirit of regeneration, which is what came into you, is your salvation. But there is another baptism. Actually, did you know there's three baptisms? In the Word of God that every believer is to go into three baptisms. Number one, we are baptized into Christ. That is your spirit baptism for salvation. Number two, the ordinance of baptism. We're to be baptized in water as a testimony. And then number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And I said, let me, let me help you. If you get it all, then answer this question. I said, who was at Pentecost? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, who was at Pentecost? Well, I don't know. I said, yes, you do. You know some of the people that were, we know, first of all, that 11 of the 12 apostles were there. Judas wasn't there, but we know the 11 were. We know that out of that 120, that not only were the 11 apostles there, but probably the rest were made up of a good portion, were the 70 that traveled with the Lord. He goes, oh, I have never thought of that. I said, well, you should. So we know at least two-thirds of the people that were at Pentecost. Okay, he said. And I said, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit, Right. Then he realized what he had stepped in. He goes, uh, yeah. I said, well, if they got it all at salvation, what did they get? So you don't get it all. Matter of fact, even when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't get it all. The, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not a goal that you arrive at. It's a door that you walk through. Hallelujah. That if you yield to Him, He will open up the riches of glory. So what Paul is simply saying here is that in a service, 
trying to, to, to distinguish the part. He said, there, it doesn't do anybody any good for someone to give a message in tongues with no one to interpret it. It cannot help anyone. It is better if there's no one to interpret for the gift of prophecy to be used because whatever the language of the people, that prophetic utterance will be in that language. It's not rocket science. Speaking in tongues is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, and it shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Joel 2, 28, 29, speaking of the former reign and the latter reign. The former reign was the great prophecy of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The latter reign was what happened in Azusa Street. Hallelujah. In Los Angeles, California, beginning in 1903, from 1903 to 1906, when, when a one-eyed, semi-literate, former Methodist preacher by the name of William J. Seymour, a precious, Holy Ghost-filled African-American, left center. He, well, what makes him so special in my sight? He's from Louisiana. He's from Centerville, Louisiana. Hallelujah. Born, listen, he was born to family that were former slaves. Matter of fact, the land of the plantation of the slave owner that he was, his family was born into, that land is still there in Centerville, Louisiana, and some of the building blocks of that plantation is still standing. And as a little boy, he gave his heart to the Lord, felt called to preach, left Centerville, Louisiana, and went down to Houston, Texas, worked for a while in Houston, Texas, and began to hear about the message of, excuse me, Indianapolis, Indiana first, got a job as, as a bellman in a hotel in Indianapolis, Indiana, left Indianapolis, came down to Houston, Texas, right down the road, and he heard the teachings of Charles Parham, and he began to get, hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and something began to stir in his heart and in his soul, and he made up his mind, I believe that the book of Acts experience is for today. Let me tell you something, it only takes one person, one person to believe God to stir the whole world. One person believing God and the Holy Spirit looked down. He didn't pick some Harvard-educated preacher. He didn't pick some theologian. He picked this semi-literate African-American from Centerville, Louisiana, and said, I'm going to use you to bring forth something that will girdle the globe and touch the whole. Somebody needs to shout. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He made up his mind. Oh, I didn't come to tell this. I got to preach. I got to hurry up. He, came, he, made, he said, this is real. And he accepted it. But yet he wasn't filled. He met a lady in Houston from Los Angeles. And she said, my church needs a pastor. I think you would make a good pastor. And she sent a telegram to a little church in L.A. and said, I've got the man we need for a pastor. They hired him. 
gave him enough money for a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. He got to L.A., went into that little black holiness church, and the very first service he preached out of Acts 2. They fired him after the service and told him he was not welcome. He had no money to buy a ticket to go home. He was stuck in L.A. Not only that, he had no place to live. They had put him in the home of a particular family in the church to stay there until he got settled and could get enough offering in to rent a little place to live on his own. But he had no income now. And they told him, they said, well, you can stay in our room, the spare room, uh, until you can get enough money to get out of here. But they, the Evans family, that's who they were. But they said that he would lock himself in the room. And they could hear him all through the morning and the afternoon and night. God, you called me to Los Angeles. I had no desire to come here on my own, but you have called me to Los Angeles. And I don't know why this has happened, but Lord, I'm not leaving. You sent me here. There's a mission for me here. There's a work that must be done for me here. I don't understand all that's happening, but God, I'm not leaving. And the more he prayed, the more under conviction they got. Until finally they couldn't take it anymore. And they said, I tell you what, we're going to start having some Bible study. And we're going to let you teach it. And we'll take an offering after each Bible study. And their thinking was, he'll get enough money to get out of here. He'll get enough money to leave us alone. We don't, this man is crazy. And he got up, started teaching on the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the beautiful part about it. He was not yet filled with the Holy Spirit himself, but that was faith. That was, he was in fact saying, God, I don't have it, but I'm going to keep teaching it, and I'm going to keep preaching it until I get it. That's faith. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, people started getting filled. I mean, he was in that little house at 244 Bonnie Bray Avenue, right off the edge of downtown Los Angeles, and they outgrew the house, and they started having to go outside on the front yard. They, they filled the front porch around until one night in teaching the front porch collapsed because of the weight of the people. History says, and I've been there, the house is still standing. It's still there, and I've been there. I've walked through it, and they said that people walking home from work, uh, from getting off the cable cars in Los Angeles when they still had cable cars, uh, and they would be walking down Bonnie Bray Avenue, and they would draw abreast of the street, and the power of God would be so strong, the power of God would knock them flat of their back, and by the time they got up, they were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, one night, Brother Seymour said, God, I see what you're doing. Don't you think it's time I got it? And the power of God came all over him and filled him with the Holy Spirit. It's real. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's a part of the believer's experience. Chapter, Acts chapter 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19. That's my introduction. Now, there are many benefits, but I have broken them down into seven that I think are the most important. Verse 2 of that 14th chapter says, He who speaks 
in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. Our praying in the Spirit is a divine means of communication. Oh, hallelujah. It is your personal prayer language. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is your own personal prayer language. And I got, we got this question the other day. They, somebody wrote in an email. They said, I, you people say you can speak in tongues anytime you want to, but I don't believe that. I said, why not? You've already learned the language. Hello. Hello. It's there. He's in you. He's there. He wants to come out. Hello. He wants you to be exercised that gift. It is a divine means of communication. Romans 8.26 says that at times situations come that are overwhelming to us. So much so that we don't know how to pray. But the spirit that is in you maketh intercession with groanings and utter that cannot be. In other words, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take over. This is beyond your comprehension. You don't even know how to approach the throne with this circumstance, this need, this situation. But I do. I know what to say. I know how to frame it. I know how to couch it. I know how to present it to the Father and to the Son. And I'm going to take over. And from deep within, a divine means of communication. 14.4 says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That word edifies means to build up, to develop. It, the idea is this. The Holy Spirit is there and in us for one of the express purposes is to make something out of you. To develop you. To build you up. And the idea is this. Man is not going to build you up. Man will try to tear you down. And religious man will try to kill you. But the Holy Spirit wants to build you up to develop you. See, the idea is this. Let's take it out of the spiritual realm at first. And let me put it in the natural so you'll understand. When, when a person buys a piece of land, that piece of land once belonged to someone else. But when you buy that piece of land, it becomes yours. You were once the property of Satan. But Jesus bought you. The father is the property owner. Now, you don't want property to just sit there. You're going to build something on that property. A house. Hello? So, the owner... Hires what? An architect. God the Father is the owner. But Jesus Christ is the divine architect. Who designs the plans for this house. But when the architect gets through building it, designing the plans, what does he do? He hires a general contractor to build the house. The Holy Spirit is the divine contractor of the triune Godhead. Oh, hallelujah. God the Father is the owner. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the divine architect. And the Holy Spirit 
is the divine contractor who takes the plans that the Lord has given and then begins to draw them, I mean, to build them out. And let me tell you, whatever he builds stands. To build up, to encourage, to give strength. Number three, we do hear them, Acts 2.11 says, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. This tells us what we're praying when we pray in tongues. When you pray in tongues, you are actually magnifying and speaking the great works of God. In other words, when you pray in the Spirit, you're speaking the Word of God. Are you here tonight? Are you here tonight? You're speaking the Word of God. You're speaking the mysteries of God. You're speaking the wonderful works of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in other words, when you pray in tongues, there's no praying in doubt. There's no praying in fear. Oh, hallelujah. You're not praying, oh God, I don't know if you can do it. But when you're praying in tongues, you might be praying. You don't know it, but you might be praying. Lord, as you push down the walls of Jericho, you can push down those walls that are coming around me. Lord, as you anointed David, as he picked up that little sling, those five rocks, and he put one in that sling, and he looked at that old giant, and he said, you come against me with a sword, a shield, and a spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. God of Israel and today and today you shall know that there is a God in Israel hallelujah you may be as you're praying tongue you may be praying it's not my might it's not my power but it's by your spirit hallelujah you're speaking truth because the Holy Spirit cannot lie and he never speaks words of doubt. It said in, in 1422, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them who believe, but to them who believe not. And this is a, a verse that is misunderstood by so many people. The idea of this verse is not that unbelievers know and understand what is happening when someone prays in the Spirit, but whether it is rather when this gift is in operation, it is telling the world that we're in the last days. Every time, listen to me, every time a person is filled with the Spirit, number one, it is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But then number two, it's a sign that we're living in the last days. Well, I don't understand that. Well, the last days began on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, today, right now, I believe scripturally we're in the last of the last days. Now, that doesn't mean I know when the rapture is going to take place because no man knows. And until he comes, we're going to occupy. We're going to preach. We're going to sing. We're going to give. We're going to evangelize. We're going to teach. And we're going to live our life as if the trump of God could sound at any moment. You know what? Chaps my hide. These people, they don't believe in the rapture. If you believe in the rapture, you've got an escapist mentality. You're the biggest idiot on planet Earth. 
the true believer of the gospel that believes in the soon and imminent rapture of the church is the busiest, hardest worker in the kingdom of God because they know we don't know how much longer we have and everything that we do, we've got to make it count. Hallelujah. Give me a break. If you really want to know how I feel, ask me after service. I'm going to help you. If somebody comes up and tells you, says to you, I don't believe in the rapture, then just tell them, well, then you don't believe in the resurrection. Because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the first fruit of the resurrection to come. Now, we can have disagreement over the timing of the rapture. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I don't believe in a mid or a post because God has not appointed the church to wrath. And don't give me this bit where God wants to purify the church. If the blood of Jesus can't purify, and on top of that, what about all the people that have already died? Were they not purified? Baloney. I don't have time for those people. Number five, to whom he said, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, to whom he said, this is the rest, wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. This is, these two verses in the 28th chapter of Isaiah are two, in my opinion, of the most beautiful passages in the Word of God giving us one of the greatest benefits of the Holy Spirit. The word weary in the Hebrew means languid, faint. And the idea is this, in this Christian journey, it's not easy. Life is not easy. And life is not fair. And I don't care how close to the Lord you are. We're all human. And we can face storms and battles and conflicts that can bring us to our knees. And we feel overwhelmed. And we become faint in this journey. We become weary. But Isaiah, 750 years before the coming of the Lord, said, the Lord's going to send us back something that's going to bring us rest. The, The idea is this. It's not necessarily the storm goes away. But we find rest in the middle of the storm. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. All hell can be breaking loose around us. And yet we are at rest as we pray in the Spirit. 
It is a resting place that settles us down. Then he said, this is the refreshing. In the Hebrew, that means to make to rest, to find ease. The idea of that passage is this. In, in, in the Middle East, it's full of desert. Much of the journey at times was in desert, barren places. No water. No sustenance. You had to be equipped to bring everything on the journey. But sometimes it doesn't always work out. And you find the water supply getting low. And the camels are getting tired. You, the camels, as you're riding, would climb the top of the dune, and all of a sudden they look over, and in the middle of a barren desert, with no life anywhere, you look down, and one little spot is an oasis. And in that oasis is water. Woo! And water is life. Water is life. Water is life. And, and it becomes that oasis becomes a place of resting. You, you take the burden off of the camels. You're able to give the camels water. You get water and the camels rest. And you rest. It, it is a recharging of the battery. In this journey of life, the battles come and we wear down. And we get beat down. But the Holy Spirit, like the Energizer Bunny. Woo, hallelujah. He brings us into a place of rest and refreshing. It's like the battery gets charged. Oh, hallelujah. For if I pray, verse 14, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. This is the highest form of prayer. It is that prayer which does not come from your mind or even your heart, but is that which comes from the Spirit alone. He begins to pray in you and through you. We couldn't make it without that. I don't care how smart you are. The devil's smarter. I don't care how educated you are. Your education cannot heal your sick child. I don't care how much money you have. Your money can't keep your marriage together. And we face these problems. And I'm I know what I'm talking about. I know what it is to face the devil. I know what it is to go from 150 pounds to 112 pounds. Going night after night after night, up to three weeks at a time, averaging an hour of sleep. Looking like thinking the powers of darkness are going to destroy me. But I also know what it is for that spirit, the Holy Spirit, to begin to pray through me. And little by little, lead you out of that morass. Yes, right. 
Oh, hallelujah. It's the highest, it, and it's not just praying when the Spirit prays. It's the highest form of worship that you can ever engage in. And then Jude, verse 20. Building us up in the most holy faith, pray in the Holy Ghost. When you pray in the Spirit, when you pray in tongues, it is not only you praying in tongues, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit is working to develop and to build your faith. Hallelujah. When, when you see Gabriel on television, when he was, he got saved when he was five years old. He, he got saved under my ministry. It was, he was five years old. And I went in to put him to bed. Debbie would put Jennifer to bed and I would put Matthew and Gabriel to bed. Matthew was gone that night. And our custom was, and parents, let me just throw this in. It is not the church's job to put spiritual life into your kids. It is your job. And I, I had a routine. I would read them a Bible story. Then we would have prayer. And then I'd put them in bed and I would, as I turned off the light, I'd click on the cassette player and they would go to sleep listening to Bible stories. So I came in that night. I said, Gabriel, it's time to go to bed. I said, and I grabbed the Bible, little picture Bible story. And he said, I said, I'm going to read your story. He goes, I don't want a story. I said, okay, what do you want? I want you to preach me a sermon. And I said, what? I want you to preach me a sermon. And I realized he was serious. So I said, okay. One minute. Went down to the bedroom, got my Bible. Walked back in. I said, I want everybody in the building to set up straight. I want you to take your Bibles. Five years old. He reached around, reached around, grabs that little picture Bible. So when everybody opened your, your Bibles to John 3, 16, you can't read, so he just opened it. And I opened my Bible, I began to read, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I said, bow your heads, I'm going to pray. I pray, I said, Lord, anoint me to preach this message. And I'm not exaggerating. And I began to preach. On God becoming man. God sending his son to die on the cross. I preached about 10 minutes. I said, I want everybody in the building to bow your heads. I said, is there anyone in the building tonight that would like to give their heart to Jesus Christ? He went. I said, I want, if you raise that hand, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to come stand in front of me. He got off that bed, stood there. I said, I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to pray this prayer. And I led him in the sinner's prayer. 
And the moment I said amen, he went, that's not he, he opened his eyes and went, Dad! I said, what? I'm born again! And I said, all right. Now, Gabriel, I said, you need to go tell somebody. Now, it's 10 o'clock at night. I didn't mean right then. He said, okay. And he took off running. Where's, the, where's this kid going? He runs into the bedroom, grabs a telephone, and calls his grandparents. Now, you got to understand something. My dad gets up at about 3.30 in the morning. He goes to bed about 7 o'clock. You don't call him after 7 o'clock unless the world is coming to an end. And he woke my dad up. And my dad goes, hello? Papa! Huh? I'm born again. See you tomorrow. <laughs> and, daddy, and daddy said later, he said, the moment he spoke it, I felt it. I knew he was saved. And then I began to teach him, Gabriel, it's not enough to be saved. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Eight, three years passed. He was eight years old. Sunday night at church. I don't remember who preached that night, but... There was a sweet presence of the Lord, and people were mingling around the altar praying. And I looked down, and Matthew was at the altar praying. And I looked over, and Gabriel was sitting on the front row behind him. And I walked over and said, Gabriel, go lay hands on your little brother and pray for him. And Gabriel jumped up and knelt down and laid his hand on him and began to pray. And all of a sudden, I realized the Holy Spirit was all over him. And I ran over there. I can remember it like it happened yesterday. I said, Gabriel, lift your hands. The Holy Spirit is all over you. Open your mouth and yield that tongue. And when I did, it began to flow like a river. Flow like a river. I'll never forget, we got in the car. I got to close. Singers, musicians, come on back. Got in the car, I was driving home, and Matthew, I heard Matthew, and you know, little brothers, they're one year apart. I heard Matthew go, what happened to you? I got filled with the Spirit. Prove it. <laughs> and Gabriel said, well, what do you mean, prove it? He goes, if you got it, you can speak in tongues right now. And I was just fixing to tell Matthew, Matthew, we don't do that. It's not a show. And Gabriel spoke up and said, Matthew, the Lord would not be pleased with that. And I said, I don't have to say anything. About three months later, midnight, the phone rings on a Friday night. Normally at midnight, it's bad news. Kids camp was going on. I said, hello. And Matthew, dad. What? I got it. I said, got what? 
I knew the answer. Got what? He goes, you know what I got. I said, no, I want you to tell me what you got. He said, I got the Holy Ghost. And I said, Matthew, how? He goes, I don't know. And I didn't know what he meant by that until the next day when I went to pick him up. Our youth, our children's, children's pastor said, Matthew was at the altar praying. Got up, was walking back to his seat. Stopped in the middle of the aisle. The Spirit of the Lord came all over him, knocked him flat of his back. He laid on the floor for nearly two hours speaking in tongues. It's for you. There are many more benefits available to every person that will just yield control of their mental faculties and yield control of their inner man and let the Spirit of God take over and let Him fill you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the presence of the Lord. And we thank you for every person that's here tonight. As every head is bowed and every eye closed, how many would say tonight, Brother Donnie, I know that I'm born again, saved. But I've not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And tonight, I want to receive. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. There's a hand back there. There's a hand. There's a hand. Raise it up high. There's a hand over there. Over here. Thank you. Right there. Thank you. There's another hand. I want everyone to stand. And as they begin to sing whatever they feel led to sing, I want every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to step out from where you are. And I want you to come stand right here and stand side by side shoulder to shoulder facing me come on right now come on hallelujah come on hallelujah hallelujah